Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. We've talked in the past about the fiduciary responsibility of your board, where they protect your assets, which helps further the mission. A good way to do this is considering the possibility of investing some of your assets in order to make the money grow. Sounds like a good idea, I know, but where do you start? Is it safe? Should your nonprofit even consider it? What do you need to do to get to this point? And when do you know you're at this point? And what about an endowment where you set aside assets so that they can grow over time as a result of the income you're earning from interest on the underlying invested funds. Hmm, well, lots to think about, but to help sort all this out, we've invited Chelsea Seibel to be our guest. Chelsea is a Florida financial consultant for Manning & Napier, an investment firm based in Rochester, New York. She works with both for and nonprofit groups. We've invited her here today to give us some insight and help you think about your options when it comes to your nonprofit. Chelsea, this is great stuff. Welcome to Impactability. Thanks, Joe, for having me. I'm excited to be here. So Chelsea, when talking about nonprofits, most important aspect of a 501c3 is the mission and the community that the organization serves. However, what can you tell us about the investment side of a nonprofit organization? And better yet, how can it increase the organization's reach? Like you said, Joe, the most important aspect is the mission and investing can help support that mission. Mm -hmm. Any organization that has a goal to be around in perpetuity, investing can give them the opportunity to have that money working for them today and continue working for them in the future. Unfortunately, COVID has negatively impacted the revenue streams of many nonprofits, Many were forced to cancel their main revenue generating fundraisers and events, um, which can be detrimental in how the organization can operate. Investing can add flexibility and continuity when these issues arise. Yeah, we're hearing that a lot, that a lot of the revenue generators that they trusted to do year after year kind of went bye-bye after COVID hit. So let's talk about endowments which many of our nonprofits have, they're a great option. So how would a nonprofit get started in creating an endowment? Yeah, that's a great question. And really it can be achieved in a variety of ways. And a great thing to note here is there's no minimum amount of assets required to start an endowment. Uh, Nonprofits will sometimes seed an endowment with excess cash from its operations or fundraising to start their own board designated fund. It's similar to a permanent endowment, but created by the board. So that means it can be uncreated or revocable, and it does not have donor restrictions. Um, However, it still does have a spending rule to abide by. Oftentimes, we see endowments intersect with planned gifts. All you need sometimes is one big planned gift from a donor who wants to see those funds making a lasting impact. Other organizations will decide to create a kickoff campaign focused on a larger pool of donors. In this case, it's important to turn your campaign into an event. You can create a case for support, set a goal, 
broadcast your message. You know, we're starting an endowment. Help us create a sustainable future for our organization. Right, right, right. Yeah. So once you have identified these funds, it's important to seek an attorney um, that is knowledgeable in charitable tax exempt law to make sure you're abiding by all necessary federal and state requirements because that's important too. And then on the other side of the coin, for the nonprofit that has an established endowment with an advisor and all of that, what should the board be doing on an ongoing basis? Board members have a fiduciary duty to do what is in the best interest of the organization. It seems like common sense, but since it's legally required, you typically want to prove that there's a fact-based process for making financial and investment decisions. Basically, that's to keep everybody on track. Exactly. Yeah. A fiduciary monitoring report. Now, how often do you recommend a, a nonprofit do these reports? Yeah. You know, once per year is a good habit to get into. If a board knows there's been a substantial change to their needs or goals, it doesn't hurt to assess the impact right away. This is great information. I'm, I can't write fast enough, so <laughs> I hope everyone is taking some really, really good notes. We're speaking with Chelsea Seibel about investing. How can your nonprofit invest some of the money you have and make that money grow even more? We're at that point where a nonprofit wants to do some investing, but the questions like I ask, how do you do it? With who? So how do you recommend they choose an investment advisor? So I'd actually recommend soliciting bids from several investment advisors. Uh, you'd want to make sure the firm is registered with the SEC as an investment advisor, and then go through an, what we call an RFP, request for proposal from each one. Once you get back the proposals, go with the company that best aligns with your organization. What are some key qualities that a nonprofit should be looking for when researching investment advisors? It always comes down to a combination of people, process, and performance. You know, who are the people running the money? What is their and their firm's background and history? What is their process, both managing the money and the model they use servicing their clients? You know, there should be a clear expectation upfront for how much time and with what frequency the board would like to review their portfolio just to make sure that they have the capacity. And then finally, performance. Do they have a history of meeting client goals? So in other words, do your homework. Do your homework. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're talking about trusting an investment firm, investment advisor, to help you take care of your money and grow your money for your organization. So you definitely need to do the homework and get the right person. Yeah, this is the bread and butter of your organization. So you want to make sure it's being taken care of. Yeah. Now, once a nonprofit has the advisor, they find the right one. She's perfect for the job to handle their investments. What are some of the things they need to be looking out for? Yeah, once you have an advisor and um, you've been working for them a little bit, some nonprofits choose to conduct a new request for proposal for investment services every three to five years. Um, this can help bring board and committee members, especially the new ones, up to speed on your options, as well as provide a, a point of comparison to how your portfolio is being managed today. Things change over the years. It might have been a good fit back three years ago, but now it might not be a good fit. Mm -hmm. So it's always mm -hmm. good to, to reassess your, your goals. That's a good point. You know, investment results, high level of engagement, a broad array of services and regular affirmations are crucial to helping your organization get the most out of its investment advisory relationship. 
We're going to stop here and take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be discussing some best practice investment tips for nonprofits that you can put into action today. This is really good stuff. You're listening to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm Joe Turner. Stay with us. Sometimes you wish there were more hours in the day. With everything on your plate, it's hard to determine which projects get done today and which gets put off until whenever you can get to it. There is an easier way. Sukup Strategic Solutions has been serving nonprofits like yours for almost 10 years. And in that time, we've handled all kinds of projects, especially the ones you can't seem to get to. Fundraising, marketing, grant writing, communications, and more. With Sukup Strategic Solutions, you'll have a team of marketers working for you, solving marketing issues sooner, grant writers that have written hundreds of grants, communications experts who can help get your message to your constituents, and certified fundraising executives with the knowledge and expertise to help you raise more money. You'll have more hands on deck, reduce overhead, and increase efficiency. For a free consultation on how we can help lighten the load at your nonprofit, visit our website at SukupStrategicSolutions.com. That's S-O-U-K-U-P StrategicSolutions.com. Maximize your impact with Sukup Strategic Solutions. Welcome back to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Turner. We're speaking with our guest, Chelsea Seibel, about what your nonprofit needs to do or think about when it comes to investing some of the money you're raising. Now, Chelsea, let's talk about personal experiences. I know you've been doing this a while. Your company helps a variety of nonprofits. Is there a story that you can share with us about how investing helped a nonprofit? Honestly, the best part of my job is seeing nonprofits thrive. Mm. We've been around since the 70s and have some clients that have been around since the beginning. Just the other day, we pulled up a report of one of those clients. It's amazing the impact 40 to 50 years can have on an endowment if you have the patience. This particular fund started with $2 million in 1983. They have withdrawn $32 million since then. And the value as of September was $24 million. <laughs> of, wow. of course, there were additional donations that contributed towards this growth, but results are undeniable. And the best part is this nonprofit has made a $32 million contribution into the community over the last 40 years. And then they still have a very healthy endowment to continue that mission, hopefully in perpetuity. That is absolutely fantastic. I love hearing stories like that. Wow, Chelsea. Who draws up the investment policies for the nonprofit? Ideally, it's a collaboration between the nonprofit and the advisor. An advisor should bring a point of view for how to achieve the goals of a nonprofit investment portfolio and a board or investment committee need to agree that it's the right view for them. Yeah. Is this where it might be good to have someone on the board who might be versed in investments? Definitely. Although it doesn't have to be your day job. I know a lot of investment advisors who sit on nonprofit boards, but also bankers, accountants, attorneys. So what would be a suitable asset allocation for a nonprofit? I mean, when do they know they're ready? We boil it down to an assessment of three factors, time horizon, withdrawal needs, and risk tolerance. Uh, so let's take a, a common example, a perpetual endowment withdrawing about four to 5% every year. They feel like they can tolerate some volatility, but definitely not full stock market exposure, especially in light of their withdrawal needs. So I'd start by prioritizing objectives. This type of organization 
definitely has the flexibility to pursue growth as a primary objective. And just by being perpetual, they almost have to grow their assets just to keep up with inflation and fund their withdrawals. But I would say an important secondary goal is to preserve assets. Withdrawals are usually everything to a portfolio like this. So without the withdrawals, they can't fund their mission. So having a secondary priority to preserving assets means you're mitigating volatility and safeguarding to some degrees, those withdrawals that are so important. So you wanna avoid a situation where a portfolio needs to take a withdrawal. And then at the same time, that volatility is hitting the market. Uh, If a portfolio is down 50%, all of a sudden that withdrawal rate is cut in half Mm -hmm. because in our example, it's calculated as a percent of the portfolio. So this type of organization would want to avoid that. So now you have a priority of objectives, growth first, then preservation. You know, every advisor will have a different method for translating this into an actual asset allocation. Broadly speaking, to me, this means your guidelines are going to be more heavily weighted towards growth type assets like stocks, but you're still going to want to have some preservation type assets like bonds, maybe a 60-40, 70-30 type split. Maybe that's a target Uh, But it's usually up to the advisor to actually build the portfolio based on those guidelines and priorities using their preferred method. So give us some best practice investing tips for our nonprofits listening today. Properly prioritizing objectives and setting an asset allocation is probably 90% of what will make a nonprofit successful. You can pick good stocks or bonds, and that's great to have. But if you don't get that initial asset allocation correct, for example, the split between stocks and bonds, then you're in an awfully big hole. It's really, really important to document your decisions, your policies, rationale. That duty is procedural based, not results based. Um, So as long as you're documenting, you're doing your due diligence. What can you give to our nonprofits advice wise that are liking what they're hearing like me? And they'd like to maybe test the waters a little bit because you know how that is, you know, yeah, investing sounds good. And, and every time I invest, it, nothing happens. So they're, they're a little shy, but they want to test the waters. So what kind of advice can you give? You know, it's, it's okay to start small. A lot of organizations just start with something like a board designated fund. Maybe it's just excess money from operations that you'd like to put to work. Um, Sometimes that can be the beginning of a larger, more formal endowment. Donors love to see you're serious about your finances. So a small board designated fund can be a great way to showcase that. Thank you so much for helping us today. I, I can't thank you enough, Chelsea. This is really, really good information. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Time now for Coach's Corner. This is where we take your questions and we ask our impact coaches to answer them. But the catch is they only have five minutes to do so. And sometimes it's easy, sometimes not so much. Today, to see if she can do it in under five minutes, our impact coach is Cheryl Sukup, the president of Sukup Strategic Solutions. Good to have you with us today, Cheryl. This is a good one. I like this one, and this might push the limit, so be careful on your time limit. Everyone says I need committees. Committees seem like more work than they're worth. So do I really need them? Good question. Cheryl, you've got five minutes to answer it on Coach's Corner, and your five minutes starts right now. 
Thank you, Joe. Well, I'd like to answer with a resounding yes. Yes, you do need committees and boards of all sizes benefit from having committees. Committees are a way for boards to get their work done. So I'll tell you a few reasons why I really think it's important. One is that doing work in committees allows for more effective board meetings. Instead of sitting in the board meeting and hashing through things that really you need more time to discuss, you can send that concern, that issue, that topic to a committee and they can do more, have more discussion. You can also have some research done in between so you can have a better, higher quality discussion on that topic. So uh, for that reason, it's really important to move topics that require more time for discussion, more research, more information to the committees for the committees to work on. Also, another thing that I'd like you to consider is that when you do work of the board within committees and board meetings are set aside for decision making and information sharing that's very high level and action oriented, it typically makes for a better overall experience for the board members. So if you really want board members who feel like board meetings are high impact and worth their time, it's really important to use committees to do the rest of the work of the board. Using committees also provides you with the option of trying out leaders on a committee before you put them on the full board. Once you vote them on, they're on the board and that's it. You really can't get rid of them unless they do something that violates your bylaws. So it really gives you a good opportunity to see how they work, how they engage with other board members, how they engage with committee members, and are they willing to engage and do they honor their commitment? So that's a, that's a good thing to find out in a committee rather than on the board. So now a few tips for you. So I want to give you five tips. One is to set clear expectations. And one way you can do this is to write committee descriptions. Your board, as well as all the committee members, should really understand what the committee is responsible for, what powers or authority has been delegated to them, and the number of hours that a committee member should be prepared to commit to working on that committee. A second tip is for you to establish a rhythm and routine. So publishing meeting dates and times for committees and sticking to them can be really important in recruiting committee members. You want to make sure that the board knows when committees are going to meet in case any ex officio members like the board chair wants to attend. But also it helps if somebody's considering coming on your committee, if they know what the meeting dates and times are, they can either decide, yes, it's a good time for me or no, that is not. So it makes it much easier for recruitment anyway. The next tip is about diversity. You want to recruit a mixture of volunteers to serve on your committees. Small nonprofits especially need some experienced leaders plus worker bees. So many committees require some people to do work outside of those committee meetings, but they need the expertise of somebody who's had a lot of board experience in many cases. So that person may not have as much time to spend. So maybe their commitment of being on the committee is only to attend the meetings, whereas some people are gonna need to do work in between. But committee discussions can be enhanced and work can be guided by the experience of leaders who have had a lot of time on nonprofit boards and committees in the past. Next is to put your committee reports into writing as minutes. 
documenting the action steps that each committee member agrees to take between the meetings. This is really important so that you keep the work of the committee moving forward. Finally, you can support the committee by issuing reminders. Reminders about action steps that are coming up due before the next meeting. Reminders of meeting dates and times and locations. Often I hear people say, well, these are you know, leaders. They should just set aside the time on their calendar and record it for themselves. However, in reality, people get busy. If you want your committees to be effective and do great work, then it's really important that you go that extra mile and assist the committee members in remembering that they have a meeting schedule. Often your committee members are some of the most impactful volunteers you'll have in your organization. Okay, Joe, that's it. Down and dirty, five minutes. I hope I made it in time. Perfect timing. Thank you very much for your information. Thanks for being on Coach's Corner, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks so much. Thank you, Joe. If you've got a question for Coach's Corner, we want to hear from you. Email them to us at impactcoaches at impactability.net. Again, that's impactcoaches at impactability.net. And if you want to reach me, my email address is joe.turner at impactability.net. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and that way you'll get new episodes downloaded just as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Joe Turner. Thanks for listening, and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit.